Section 19 of Howard Pyle's Book of Pirates. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Schneider. Howard Pyle's Book of Pirates by Howard Pyle. Compiled by Merle Johnson. The Ruby of Kishmore. Part 3. The Unexpected Encounter with the Sea Captain with the Broken Nose if our hero had been distracted and bedazed by the first catastrophe that had befallen this second and even more dreadful and violent occurrence appeared to take away from him for the moment every power of thought and of sensation all that perturbation of emotion that had before convulsed him he discovered to have disappeared and in its stead a benumbed and blinded intelligence alone remained to him as he stood in the presence of this second death of which he had been as innocent and as unwilling an instrument as he had of the first he could observe no signs either of remorse or of horror within him he picked up his hat which had fallen upon the floor in the first encounter and brushing away the dust with the cuff of his coat-sleeve with extraordinary care adjusted the beaver upon his head with the utmost nicety then turning still stupefied as with the fumes of some powerful drug he prepared to quit the scene of tragic terrors that had thus unexpectedly accumulated upon him but ere he could put his design into execution his ears were startled by the sound of loud and hurried footsteps which coming from below ascended the stairs with a prodigious clatter and bustle of speed at the landing these footsteps paused for a while and then approached more cautious and deliberate toward the room where the double tragedy had been enacted and where our hero yet stood silent and inert all this while jonathan made no endeavor to escape but stood passive and submissive to what might occur he felt himself the victim of circumstances over which he himself had no control gazing at the partly open door he waited for whatever adventure might next befall him once again the footsteps paused this time at the very threshold and then the door was slowly pushed open from without as our hero gazed at the aperture there presently became disclosed to his view the strong and robust figure of one who was evidently of a seafaring habit from the gold braid upon his hat the seals dangling from the ribbons at his fob and a certain particularity of custom he was evidently of no small consideration in his profession he was of a strong and powerful build with a head set close to his shoulders and upon a round short bull neck he wore a black cravat loosely tied into a knot and a red waistcoat elaborately trimmed with gold braid the leather belt with the brass buckle and hanger and huge sea-boots completed a costume singularly suggestive of his occupation in life his face was round and broad like that of a cat and a complexion stained by constant exposure to sun and wind to a color of newly polished mahogany but a countenance which otherwise might have been humorous in this case was rendered singularly repulsive by the fact that his nose had been broken so flat to his face that all that remained to distinguish that feature were two circular orifices where the nostrils should have been his eyes were by no means so sinister as the rest of his visage 
being of a light gray color and exceedingly vivacious even good-natured in the merry restlessness of their glance albeit they were well-nigh hidden beneath a black bush of overhanging eyebrows when he spoke his voice was so deep and resonant that it was as though it issued from a barrel rather than from the breast of a human being how now me hearty cried he in stentorian tones so loud that they seemed to stun the tensely drawn drums of our hero's ears how now me hearty what's to do here who is shooting pistols at this hour of the night then catching sight of the figures lying in a huddle upon the floor his great thick lips parted into a gape of wonder and his gray eyes rolled in his head like two balls so that what with his flat face and the round holes of his nostrils he presented an appearance which under other circumstances would have been at once ludicrous and grotesque by the blood cried he to be sure it is murder that has happened here not murder cried jonathan in a shrill and panting voice not murder it was an accident and i am as innocent as a baby the newcomer looked at him and then at the two figures upon the floor and then back at him again with eyes at once quizzical and cunning then his face broke into a grin that might hardly be called a drollery accident quoth he by the blood d'ye see tis a strange accident indeed that lays two men by the heels and lets the third go without a scratch delivering himself thus he came forward into the room and taking the last victim of jonathan's adventure by the arm with as little compunction as he would have handled a sack of grain he dragged the limp and helpless figure from where it lay to the floor beside the first victim then lifting the lighted candle he bent over the two prostrate bodies holding the illumination close to the lineaments first of one and then of the other he looked at them very carefully for a long while with the closest and most intent scrutiny and in perfect silence they are both dead says he as davy jones and whoever you be i protest that you have done your business the most completest that i ever saw in all my life indeed cried jonathan in the same shrill and panting voice it was themselves who did it first one of them attacked me and then the other and i did but try to keep them from murdering me this one fell on his knife and that one shot himself in his efforts to destroy me that said the seaman you may very well tell to a drylander and maybe he will believe you but you cannot so easily pull the wool over the eyes of captain benny willets and what if i may be so bold as for to ask you was the reason for their attacking so harmless a man as you proclaim yourself to be that i know not cried jonathan i am entirely willing to tell thee all the circumstances thou must know that i am a member of this society of friends this day i landed here in kingston and met a young woman of very comely appearance who entrusted me with a little ivory ball which she requested me to keep for her a few days the sight of this ball in which i can detect nothing that could be likely to arouse any feelings of violence appears to have driven these two men entirely mad so that they instantly made the most ferocious and murderous assault upon me see wouldst thou have believed that so small a thing as this would have caused so much trouble and as he spoke he held up to the gaze of the other the cause of the double tragedy that had befallen 
but no sooner had captain willits's eyes lighted upon the ball than the most singular change passed over his countenance the color appeared to grow dull and yellow in his ruddy cheeks his fat lips dropped apart and his eyes stared with a fixed and glassy glare he arose to his feet and still with the expression of astonishment and wonder upon his face gazed first at our hero and then at the ivory ball in his hands as though he were deprived both of reason and of speech at last as our hero slipped the trifle back in his pocket again the mariner slowly recovered himself though with a prodigious effort and drew a deep and profound breath as to the very bottom of his lungs he wiped with the corner of his black silk cravat his brow upon which the sweat appeared to have gathered well messmate says he at last with a sudden change of voice you have indeed had a most wonderful adventure then with another deep breath well by the blood i may tell you plainly that i am no poor hand at the reading of faces well i think you to be honest and i am inclined to believe every word you tell me by the blood i am prodigiously sorry for you and i am inclined to help you out of your scrape the first thing to do he continued is to get rid of these two dead men and that is an affair i believe we shall have no trouble in handling one of them we will wrap up in the carpet there and t'other we can roll into yonder bed curtain you shall carry the one and i the other and the harbor being at no great distance we can easily bring them thither and tumble them overboard and no one will be the wiser of what has happened for your own safety you may easily see you can hardly go away and leave these objects here to be found by the first comer and to rise up in evidence against you this reasoning in our hero's present bewildered state appeared to him to be so extremely just that he raised not the least objection to it accordingly each of the two silent voiceless victims of the evening's occurrences was wrapped into a bundle that from without appeared to be neither portentous nor terrible in appearance thereupon jonathan shouldering the rug containing the little gentleman in black and the sea captain doing the like for the other they presently made their way down the stairs through the darkness and so out into the street here the sea captain became the conductor of the expedition and leading the way down several alleys and along certain by-streets now and then stopping to rest for the burdens were both heavy and clumsy to carry they both came out at last to the harbor front without any one having questioned them or having appeared to suspect them of anything wrong at the water-side was an open wharf extending a pretty good distance out into the harbor thither the captain led the way and jonathan followed so they made their way out along the wharf or pier stumbling now and then over loose boards until they came at last to where the water was of a sufficient depth for their purpose here the captain bending his shoulders shot his burden out into the dark mysterious waters and jonathan following his example did the same each body sank with a sullen and leaden splash into the element where the casings which swathed them becoming loosened the rug and the curtain rose to the surface and drifted slowly away with the tide as jonathan stood gazing dully at the disappearance of these last evidences of his two inadvertent murders he was suddenly and vehemently aroused by feeling a pair of arms of enormous strength flung about him from behind in their embrace his elbows were instantly pinned tight to his side 
and he stood for a moment helpless and astounded while the voice of the sea captain rumbling in his ear exclaimed ye bloody mother and quaker i'll have that ivory ball or i'll have your life these words produced the same effect upon jonathan as though a douche of cold water had suddenly been flung over him he began instantly to struggle to free himself and that with a frantic and vehement violence begotten at once of terror and despair so prodigious were his efforts that more than once he had nearly torn himself free but still the powerful arms of his captor held him as in a vice of iron meantime our hero's assailant made frequent though ineffectual attempts to thrust a hand into the breeches pocket where the ivory ball was hidden swearing the while under his breath with a terrifying and monstrous string of oaths at last finding himself foiled in every such attempt and losing all patience at the struggles of his victim he endeavored to lift jonathan off of his feet as though to dash him bodily upon the ground in this he would doubtless have succeeded had he not caught his heel in the crack of a loose board on the wharf instantly they both fell violently prostrate the captain beneath and jonathan above him though still encircled in his iron embrace our hero felt the back of his head strike violently upon the flat face of the other and he heard the captain's skull sound with a terrific crack like that of a breaking egg upon some post or billet of wood against which he must have struck in their frantic struggles they had approached extremely near the edge of the wharf so that the next instant with an enormous and thunderous splash jonathan found himself plunged into the waters of the harbor and the arms of his assailant loosened from about his body the shock of the water brought him instantly to his senses and being a fairly good swimmer he had not the least difficulty in reaching and clutching the cross-piece of a wooden ladder that coated with slimy sea-moss led from the water level to the wharf above after reaching the safety of the dry land once more jonathan gazed about him as though to discern whence the next attack might be delivered upon him but he stood entirely alone upon the deck not another living soul was in sight the surface of the water exhibited some commotion as though disturbed by something struggling beneath but the sea captain who had doubtless been stunned by the tremendous crack upon his head never arose again out of the element that had engulfed him the moonlight shone with a peaceful and resplendent illumination and excepting certain remote noises from the distant town not a sound broke the silence and peacefulness of the balmy tropical night the limpid water illuminated by the resplendent moonlight lapped against the wharf all the world was calm serene and enveloped in a profound and entire repose jonathan looked up at the round and brilliant globe of light floating in the sky above his head and wondered whether it were indeed possible that all that had befallen him was a reality and not some tremendous hallucination then suddenly arousing himself to a renewed realization of that which had occurred he turned and ran like one possessed up along the wharf and so into the moonlit town once more the conclusion of the adventure with the lady with the silver veil nor did he check his precipitous flight until suddenly being led perhaps by some strange influence of which he was not at all the master he discovered himself to be standing before the garden gate where not more than an hour before he had first entered upon the series of monstrous adventures that had led to such tremendous conclusions 
people were still passing and repassing and one of these groups a party of young ladies and gentlemen paused upon the opposite side of the street to observe with no small curiosity and amusement his dripping and bedraggled aspect but only one thought and one intention possessed our hero to relieve himself as quickly as possible of that trust which he had taken up so thoughtlessly and with such monstrous results to himself and to his victims he ran to the gate of the garden and began beating and kicking upon it with a vehemence that he could neither master nor control he was aware that the entire neighborhood was becoming aroused for he beheld lights moving and loud voices of inquiry yet he gave not the least thought to the disturbance he was creating but continued without intermission his uproarious pounding upon the gate at length in answer to the sound of his vehement blows the little wicket was opened and a pair of eyes appeared thereat the next instant the gate was cast ajar very hastily and the pock-pitted negress appeared she caught him by the sleeve of his coat and drew him quickly into the garden buckra buckra she cried what you doin'? you wake the whole town then observing his dripping garments you been in the water you catch fever and shake till you die thy mistress cried jonathan almost sobbing in the excess of his emotion take me to her upon the instant or i cannot answer for my not going entirely mad when our hero was again introduced to the lady he found her clad in a loose and elegant negligee infinitely becoming to her graceful figure and still covered with the veil of silver gauze that had before enveloped her friend he cried vehemently approaching her and holding out toward her the little ivory ball take again this which thou gavest me it has brought death to three men and i know not what terrible fate may befall me if i keep it longer in my possession what is it you say cried she in a piercing voice did you say it hath caused the death of three men quick tell me what has happened for i feel somehow a presage that you bring me news of safety and release from all my dangers i know not what thou meanest cried jonathan still panting with agitation but this i do know that when i went away from thee i departed an innocent man and now i come back to thee burdened with the weight of three lives which though innocent i have been instrumental in taking explain exclaimed the woman tapping the floor with her foot explain explain that i will cried jonathan and as soon as i am able when i left thee and went out into the street i was accosted by a little gentleman clad in black indeed cried the lady and had he but one eye and did he carry a gold-headed cane exactly said jonathan and he claimed acquaintance with friend jeremiah doolittle he never knew him cried the lady vehemently and i must tell you that he was a villain named hunt who at one time was the intimate consort of the pirate kite he it was who plunged a deadly knife into his captain's bosom and so murdered him in this very house he himself or his agents must have been watching my gate when you went forth i know not how that may be said jonathan but he took me to his apartment and there obtaining a knowledge of the trust thou didst burden me with he demanded it of me and upon my refusing to deliver it to him he presently fell to attacking me with a dagger 
in my efforts to protect my life i inadvertently caused him to plunge the knife into his own bosom and to kill himself and what then cried the lady who appeared well-nigh distracted with her emotions then said jonathan there was a strange man a foreigner who upon his part assaulted me with a pistol with every intention of murdering me and thus obtaining possession of that same little trifle and did he exclaimed the lady have long black mustachios and did he have silver earrings in his ears yes said jonathan he did that cried the lady would have been none other than captain kite's portuguese sailing-master who must have been spying upon hunt tell me what happened next he would have taken my life said jonathan but in the struggle that followed he shot himself accidentally with his own pistol and died at my very feet i do not know what would have happened to me if a sea captain had not come and proffered his assistance a sea captain and had he a flat face and a broken nose indeed he had replied jonathan that said the lady must have been captain kite's pirate friend captain willets of the bloody hand he was doubtless spying upon the portuguese he induced me said jonathan to carry the two bodies down to the wharf having inveigled me there where i suppose he thought no one could interfere he assaulted me and endeavored to take the ivory ball away from me in my efforts to escape we both fell into the water and he striking his head upon the edge of the wharf was first stunned and then drowned thank god cried the lady with a transport of fervor and clasping her jeweled hands together at last i am free of those who have heretofore persecuted me and threatened my very life itself you have asked to behold my face i will now show it to you heretofore i have been obliged to keep it concealed lest recognizing me my enemies would have slain me as she spoke she drew aside her veil and disclosed to the vision of our hero a countenance of the most extraordinary and striking beauty her luminous eyes were like those of a jawa and set beneath exquisitely arched and penciled brows her forehead was like lustrous ivory and her lips like rose leaves her hair which was as smooth as the finest silk was fastened up in masses of ravishing abundance i am said she the daughter of that unfortunate captain kite who though weak and a pirate was not so wicked i would have you know as he has been painted he would doubtless have been an honest man had he not been led astray by the villain hunt who so nearly compassed your destruction he returned to this island before his death and made me the sole heir of all that great fortune which he had gathered perhaps not by the most honest means in the waters of the indian ocean but the greatest treasure of all that fortune bequeathed to me was a single jewel which you yourself have just now defended with a courage and a fidelity that i cannot sufficiently extol it is that priceless gem known as the ruby of kishmore i will show it to you hereupon she took the little ivory ball in her hand and with a turn of her beautiful wrists unscrewed a lid so nicely and cunningly adjusted that no eye could have detected where it was joined to the parent globe within was a fleece of raw silk containing an object which
which she presently displayed before the astonished gaze of our hero it was a red stone of about the bigness of a plover's egg and which glowed and flamed with such an exquisite and ruddy brilliancy as to dazzle even jonathan's inexperienced eyes indeed he did not need to be informed of the priceless value of the treasure which he beheld in the rosy palm extended toward him how long he gazed at this extraordinary jewel he knew not but he was aroused from his contemplation by the sound of the lady's voice addressing him the three villains said she who had this day met their deserts in a violent and bloody death had by an accident obtained knowledge that this jewel was in my possession since then my life has hung upon a thread and every step that i have taken has been watched by these enemies the most cruel and relentless that it was ever the lot of any unfortunate to possess from the mortal dangers of their machinations you have saved me exhibited a courage and a determination that cannot be sufficiently applauded in this you have earned my deepest admiration and regard i would rather she cried entrust my life and my happiness to you than into the keeping of any man whom i have ever met i cannot hope to reward you in such a way as to recompense you for the perils into which my necessities have thrust you but yet and here she hesitated as though seeking for words in which to express herself but yet if you are willing to accept of this jewel and all of the fortune that belongs to me together with the person of poor eveline kite herself not only the stone and the wealth but the woman also are yours to dispose of as you see fit our hero was so struck aback at this unexpected turn that he knew not upon the instant what reply to make friend said he at last i thank thee extremely for thy offer and though i would not be ungracious it is yet borne in upon me to testify to thee that as to the stone itself and the fortune of which thou speakest and of which i very well know the history i have no inclination to receive either the one or the other both the fruits of theft rapine and murder the jewel i have myself beheld three times stained as it were with the blood of my fellow-man so that it now has so little value in my sight that i would not give a peppercorn to possess it indeed there is no inducement in the world that could persuade me to accept it or even to take it again into my hand as to the rest of thy generous offer i have only to say that i am four months hence to be married to a very comely young woman in kensington in pennsylvania by name martha dobbs and therefore i am not at liberty to consider my inclinations in any other direction having so delivered himself jonathan bowed with such ease as his stiff and awkward joints might command and thereupon withdrew from the presence of the charmer who with cheeks suffused with blushes and with eyes averted made no endeavor to detain him so ended the only adventure of moment that ever happened him in all his life for thereafter he contented himself with such excitement as his mercantile profession and his extremely peaceful existence might afford epilogue in conclusion it may be said that when the worthy jonathan rugg was married to martha dobbs upon the following june some mysterious friend presented to the bride a rope of pearls 
of such considerable value that when they were realized into money our hero was enabled to enter into partnership with his former patron the worthy jeremiah doolittle and that having made such a beginning he by and by arose to become in his day one of the leading merchants of his native town of philadelphia that is the end of part three of the ruby of kishmore and that is the end of howard pyle's book of pirates